Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. She started as a teacher and has become one of the longest-serving executive directors of a Chamber of Commerce in the state. We talked to Betty Kujai of the Northeastern Connecticut Chamber about her four decades at the top. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. They date back to the 1760s, and today there are around 13,000 of them across the nation. We're talking about Chambers of Commerce. And here in Connecticut, there are around 70 Chambers of Commerce in the state, ranging from large chambers serving our big towns and cities, to smaller chambers serving their local communities, and even regional chambers looking after one or more counties. Eastern Connecticut is well served by a variety of these chambers that help businesses set up and grow to supplying local tourism information to visitors. One such chamber is the Northeastern Connecticut Chamber of Commerce that has been headed up by one woman now for over four decades. I caught up with Betty Kujai, Executive Director of the Northeastern Chamber, shortly before she retired. Betty, thank you for being on the podcast. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's a great pleasure to be here with all of you. So we're talking about a change of leadership here 41 years you have been the executive director of this chamber. Talk to us about the decision that you came to, to say, it's time to hand it over. Well, it's nothing earth shattering. I'm so honored that my daughter recently had a baby and asked if I would consider taking care of the baby. And how could I possibly say no? We don't get do-overs in life. And I was just so thrilled to have this opportunity. And I I don't think I would have left for anything other than something like this very special occasion, because I love what I do at the Chamber here. Talk to us about how it all started, because I haven't fact-checked this, Mm -hmm. but I think you probably are the longest-serving executive director, certainly of a Chamber here in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. So tell us how it all began. In 1982, I had been in the teaching field and was not what I wanted to do for the entirety of my life. Heard about this position, applied for it, and I got the job. At the time, it was the Killingly Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce serving two towns, and we probably had about 60 or 70 chamber members. And then over the years, we've seen tremendous growth. We've gone from a two-town chamber to a 23-town chamber and servicing more than 500 chamber members today. You, if I have read this correctly, 
had no experience as certainly as an executive director or with chamber business. Like you said, you were in the teaching field. What on earth made you feel that you wanted to jump into something completely new? I think it was just the fact that it was something different and something I thought I could be very good at. You know, some people have said I can talk the wallpaper off the wall. I love dealing with people. I love helping people. You know, we've done everything from bring in some real stellar programs for our chamber members to uh, something as giving folks directions, giving them maps. Today we don't do too much in maps because everybody has MapQuest, but years ago we had the state maps and uh, the town maps and tourist information. Folks are relocating to a town. They want information on that town, so we send them, you know, big pamphlets, you know, envelopes full of pamphlets and they get a taste of what our community is like. How important do you think, I mean, it's certainly, you know, in this day and age of, you know, the world has changed so much and we'll be talking obviously about that and how technology has changed things. How important do you still feel that chambers of commerce are? Oh, I think they're huge. You know, our job is to serve our business chamber members and we do whatever we can to help them succeed. Everything from bringing legislative issues to the forefront so they know what's going on in Hartford and in Washington to uh, helping them deal with issues when we had the pandemic. I mean, you have to remember, you know, it wasn't that long ago, the entire world shut down. And, I mean, I ended up going home for one day because the state was shut down and I'm in my office at home, and I said to my husband, there's, there's really no reason why I can't be working from the office. We, The chamber owns our building and was able to be here locked down and serve our chamber members, and that's exactly what we did. We put forums on to bring in attorneys so our chamber members could connect through Zoom and ask their questions to legal attorneys, you know, labor attorneys on exactly how they were to proceed during these very challenging times. We put out loads and loads of information on the PPP loans, how you go about doing it, where do you go. We were putting out information on who to speak to at the labor department with regard to claims, were employees to be paid or not when they were out. There were just so many questions that needed to be answered and businesses needed help at a time when you can ill afford to not be there to help them. So we were here. We provided whatever we could to them. We answered the phones each and every day. And that's probably one of my proudest moments in my 41-year career was knowing that we were here for our chamber members when they needed us most. Yeah, because, I mean, you really weren't making a difference because no disrespect to any of the other agencies, but they were being overwhelmed. So to be able to turn to Mm -hmm. a trusted source, i.e. the chamber, and all of this work that you were doing, it really must have been a godsend for, you know, the businesses. What sort of feedback were you getting from them? Because I'm I'm guessing they were very appreciative of being able to tap into you. Absolutely. The folks were, were really pleased. And it was reflected in the numbers of folks that were connecting to the Zoom conferences. So many good questions were being asked and shared among our chamber members. It was just really, truly remarkable. We had, we also had great politicians that stepped forward and said, knowing that you're in the office, knowing that you're willing to help, let us get you some resources from the federal and state governments in terms of face masks, getting those dispersed, 
We distributed over 5,000 face masks in uh, 2020 to get those distributed to our, our business members so they could do what they, they needed to do to try to survive during these challenging times. You're a small chamber, but you, yes. you carry a lot of clout. I believe it's just two of you at, uh, here in the office. And obviously, you know, you have an army of volunteers, etc., and you have your board who are fabulous, and they rotate around. But you're in the quiet corner of the state, often neglected, forgotten. You weren't prepared to let that happen, were you? No, I'm not, I'm not a fan of the quiet corner you know, icon. I like to think of us as a noisy corner. You know, we do what it takes to get the job done. We try to bring the issues to the people. We bring our politicians out here. We don't ask our our chamber members to go out to Hartford. We do whatever we can to help serve them. 41 years, like we said, it's a long time for somebody to have one position. Clearly, you continue to enjoy it. You've made that quite clear. It's probably difficult to ask you this over those 41 years. Give us a few of some of the highlights, you know, the things that have probably really stuck in your mind, because obviously there's there's many. But is there anything, you know, immediately as we talk that, you know, you've been thinking about, uh, you know, since you decided to step step away that you think, yeah, that that really, you know, resonates. It's still with me. I I loved the fact that we did that. I mean, you've just mentioned obviously about the pandemic. Obviously, that's a big one. Well, we've had a lot of fabulous chamber programs over the years. We've we've run auto shows. We've done home and business expos for our chamber membership, a number of fundraisers. But for me, it's the programs that provide information to our chamber members that's a benefit to them. And we know we've seen every governor, every standing governor since 1982 come out to northeastern Connecticut. I've had the opportunity to have United States Senator Lowell Weicker and Governor Lowell Weicker come out. You know, it's kind of remarkable that he happened to hold two titles. We've had forensic scientist Henry Lee come out, which was a fabulous program. That was more of a fundraiser for for us. We had over 500 guests come out and attend that program. And for those who remember Dr. Henry Lee, the leading forensic scientist in in the state of Connecticut and was very involved in the O.J. Simpson trial. And he was just a great draw, lots of energy. He had all kinds of information that he shared with our chamber members. I've had the late Denise DeCenzo from Channel 3. She came out and did a fabulous women's leadership program. We've done health and wellness programs for our chamber members, brought in really great docs who wanted to share information with our chamber members on how to keep them, you know, healthy and happy. We've done programs on the importance of sleep, dermatology, cardiac issues, a whole different variety, how to lose weight in the winter months, you know, that type of thing. It's just been a whole variety of different programs that has drawn the membership to the organization, and they've responded well. They love it. They want to see more. That's what we're trying to continue to do. How does it feel being part, as I say, of an organization that, as we've said, you're a small organization yourself, but with, with, with huge clout. Your members range from multinational companies mm-hmm. down to individuals. Absolutely. Uh, so we have multinational companies, Frito-Lay, International Paper, and on and on. Uh, and we have the mom and, and pop shops, and they're, they're all treated equally. 
They're all important to us. You know, we love seeing them at our events. We do business networking programs each and every month designed to encourage networking and business-to-business relations. It's all important. Our members thrive in that kind of an atmosphere and get the opportunity to really connect with their fellow business person. And it's through these individual relationships that they build that business happens. And it's just really remarkable. I see it almost every single month when we have these events. I see some connection happening. And I love hearing the stories afterwards when people come to me and they happen to share, oh, I met you know, so-and-so at your business after hours, and now I just listed my home with her. And it's just exciting to hear. And, and I love hearing those stories. And I'm so happy to have them share that their story with me. Human connections obviously is is a huge part as you just said of what this is about but also it's like the technology has changed as well over the years. I mean talk to us about that because when you first started we didn't have the computers we didn't have social media. No. Talk to us about that because it was a very different time. It was a terribly different time. I started with a typewriter and a Rolodex and it was you know kind of sad a copy machine a Mita 500D I don't know that they even make them anymore. But yes, I had to learn the computer and uh, fax machines. I thought there was really something quite remarkable that you could put a sheet of paper on one, you know, in on, on your phone on one side and it came out on somebody else's machine all the way across the world. And I just found that remarkable. Today, it's the same thing. We have scans and we had to grow with it. And, and we did. And I think we adapted pretty well. For a smaller chamber, I mean, you know, was the learning curve steeper, do you think? There is definitely a learning curve. And you'd bring in the specialists, you know, those who know WordPress for your website. And I went to my children for help with social media. I fully admit that. And they took me and showed me how to do Facebook and Instagram. And now I help them with theirs. How do I do this, Mom? And... So, yeah, I, I have kind of adapted pretty well in my old age here, and we're doing well, and now we're bringing in some new blood, and so I have great hopes for the future. Talk to us a little bit about the person who will be taking over. Yes, so we've hired L. Jordan Goslin, and she'll be leading the organization when I'm all done, and I'm excited for her. She comes to us with some work experience locally, started with Baker's Dozen Coffee Shop, and then went to work at the Quinnebog Valley Community College Foundation. And most recently, she was with Eastern Connecticut Workforce Investment Board out of North Franklin. And this position was posted. She saw it and applied and became the top candidate for the position. So we're excited to welcome her. Obviously, things will change. I mean, mm-hmm. as every new leader steps in, there's things that, you know, that, that they want to do. Just taking you back again, obviously, when you started this, I mean, apart from, as we said, the technology, was there a lot of change, you know, over the years? I mean, because mm-hmm. it's, it's unusual to have somebody in a position, you know, for such a long period of time. But that still doesn't mean that change doesn't happen. Well, we had to change. You know, we had to grow just like any organization. Like I said, we went from two towns to 23 towns. And we made a big jump back in 2018 by going from 13 towns to 23 towns. And that was as a result of businesses asking us to spread our wings a bit and to serve a larger region. So we did just that. We responded to the requests. We went from renting to 
owning our own building, which is up on Westcott Road in Danielson. And, you know, we're excited uh, about this space. It's close proximity to the highway. At some point, we hope to have signs on the highway that helps people to realize that there's an opportunity for them to stop off at the visitor center and collect some information and use the facilities. Now, businesses come and go, we know that. And during the pandemic, a lot of businesses decided to take that opportunity to close down, but also a lot decided to take that opportunity to start businesses as well. I was reading something before we did the interview where you said, so like post-pandemic-ish, that ribbon cuttings. Uh, Talk to us about that, because that's interesting that people decided, like, I'm going to take that jump. I know you're exactly right. I, I'm I'm not sure what the impetus was for, for the folks, but I think they had the opportunity during the shutdown to really evaluate what they wanted to do with their lives. And many of them just made that decision to jump in with both feet and being uh, to be an entrepreneur, to do what they really wanted to do. And Never in the history of our organization have we ever seen so many ribbon cuttings, groundbreakings, expansions, and the chamber was there to you know to assist them. We had I think one year we had over fifty. That's remarkable when you think about it. I'm just still astounded by those numbers, but it meant more chamber members, and we're happy to do ribbon cuttings whether you're a chamber member or not. That need not be part of that whole process. We want to do whatever we can to welcome our businesses to the region. And it just shows the resilience, the tenacity, and the true spirit of entrepreneurship is alive and well in eastern Connecticut. You put a lot of hours into this job. So Mm -hmm. does uh, Nancy, the other member of the team here. It's an all-encompassing role, isn't it? I mean, people don't, I think, always realize how much work both of you put in. Talk to us about that because it's long hours. It is long hours. I know there are some people that don't realize it's a a paid position. Uh, I don't just work 40 hours. I live and breathe, you know, the chamber. I have my phone by my side all the time, and I'm constantly checking social media for any posts, any emails. When I go out, my chamber hat is always on. You know, it's it's who I am. After 41 years, I think that's just part and parcel of, of the role. But, yes, we put in a lot of hours, uh, golf tournaments, uh, long days. You know, our, our fundraisers are long days. Sometimes I'm... You know, I have an early morning meeting at 7.30, and then that same day I might have a business after hours, and we don't get done till about 7.30. So those are long days, but if I didn't love it, I wouldn't do it. And 41 years, I think, I think that's a pretty good tenure. You're not going to like me using this word as celebrity, I mean, but you've almost got the status of celebrity because like you said 41 years so many people know you it must be difficult to walk down the street without somebody going hey <laughs> betty and you know does it take like forever for you to do the shopping or something it's so funny you mentioned that uh, about eight years ago i was i jumped in the grocery store and i had eight or nine items i needed to get one of which was ice cream made the mistake of going there first and by, by the time I left, the ice cream was very soft because I ran into three or four people in the grocery store. And, and I, learned, I learned my lesson, do frozen foods last. That's the way they set up most grocery stores. But 
but I was just kind of on a mission and going about my business to shop, but I, I learned my lesson the hard way. But yes, I, and I don't think of myself as a celebrity. I, I, I'm, I really shy away from that because I've worked hard as the chamber executive director to push our board and more importantly, our, you know, our president in the forefront. They are the individuals who are serving the organization at the top. They set policy. And for me, what's important is that they get the, you know, the, the limelight. It's their role to shine in. And so many of our officers and directors have, have really embraced it and loved it. I'm a facilitator. Uh, my job is to do the best I can to present the programs. And I do a lot of blocking for our presidents. Everything is laid out, and they know when they're supposed to move and what they're supposed to you know, reflect on at, that, at the uh, microphone. And it works, and they love it. And I'm so fortunate to have one of the best boards in Connecticut. I have great leadership on our Northeastern Connecticut Chamber of Commerce Board, movers and shakers, men and women, 28 of them, who represent the biggest corporations in the nation on down to small mom and and dad shops. So I'm going to leave you with this final question. There's so much more for you to do, as we said, your grandchild, other work, etc., as you step away from this role. Is there one thing in particular you think you'll miss the most? Mm, people. I love people. And I think that's why I'm, I'm giving strong consideration to the, you know, the two offers that have come forth, because I, I, that's who I am. I am a people person, and I just love helping. And uh, I'm, it's not about the money with regard to you know, doing any social media work. It's just really about helping them out. And if I can give them a little assistance along the way, then it will be my ultimate pleasure. Well, Betty Kujai, Executive Director of the Northeastern Connecticut Chamber of Commerce for 41 years, thank you for your service and enjoy your time away. I will. Thank you so much. And if you're a company doing business in Northeastern Connecticut and want to become a member of the Chamber or want more information about doing business in the region, visit their website at nectchamber.com. comes to a gun suicide attempt, all it takes is a moment. My son, Ricky, took his life by the use of a firearm. It broke me, and I contemplated suicide. My grandson, I was going to have to be here for him. I still own my firearm. I keep it in a safe because I want to keep my grandson and myself safe. Store your guns, locked, unloaded, and away from ammo. Hear more safe stories at endfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by Brady and the Ad Council. It's hurricane season, and your trees can be damaged by high winds. Green Valley Tree has you covered with our emergency tree service outside of our regular business hours. We offer emergency tree service by bucket, crane, and climbing for residential, commercial, and even municipalities across eastern Connecticut. From full tree removals, uprooted or broken trees, to broken, hung up, or fractured tree limbs. Call our emergency hotline on 860-966-5710 or visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com. Time now for a look at other stories making the headlines this week. 
The Connecticut town of Plainfield has been found in violation of the state's Freedom of Information Act, an order to hand over documents related to a cyber attack it suffered in 2022. A Freedom of Information request made by the media to the town's first selectman, Kevin Cunningham, in 2022, asked for documentation showing the costs and organisations being used to rectify the situation, but were denied by the town, saying no documentation responsive to the request was available. A year later, and the state's Freedom of Information Commission investigation and hearing has ordered the release of 115 pages of documentation under state statute and ordered the town to undergo Freedom of Information Act training for their failure to adhere to state FOIA laws. Computers at the town and Plainfield Police Department were crippled back in March of 2022, and the cost to recover the situation was estimated back then to be around $350,000. Documentation obtained through the Commission ruling, much of which has been heavily redacted, appears to show the cost to the town and its residents to be closer to $450,000. The cost going to computer companies supplying hardware and software to the town, as well as accountants and to a Pennsylvania-based law firm that specializes in data privacy and cyber situations that helps to protect businesses and organizations from being sued in the event of a cyber attack. Cyber attacks on Connecticut organizations and businesses are on the increase. Recently, Charter Oak Credit Union in Eastern Connecticut and the Eastern Connecticut Health Network both suffered cyber attacks. The Health Network is still reporting issues with their IT systems as a result of the attack. And the city of New Haven has also reported having been cyber-attacked, losing $6 million to bad actors. The mayor of New Haven says they have so far managed to recover about half of the money and continue to use law enforcement agencies to assist them with the situation. A little more than a year ago, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline adopted the shorter number 988. Since then, mental health advocates in Connecticut and across the U.S. are seeing more positive results. Edwin J. Vieira from the Connecticut News Service has more. United Way of Connecticut finds there has been a 125% increase in calls since the new number was established. Though the state has had the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline for years under the previous number, Lisa Tepper Bates with United Way of Connecticut wasn't expecting such a steep increase when the number changed. So I would say that did surprise us, but I'm proud also to say that we not only managed it, but our team has consistently been a top performer in the nation in making sure to pick up every call quickly. The Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration finds Connecticut has around a 90% answer rate for all calls. In the future, she hopes to find ways to have 988 in Connecticut work better with other mental health services, particularly those focusing on youth mental health in the state. Anyone suffering from suicidal thoughts should contact 988 or look into mental health treatment options. I'm Edwin J. Vieira. In the Norwich Bulletin this week, after two bank robberies recently in Norwich, another two robberies have taken place, bringing the total to four. Robberies of the Liberty Bank at 77 Salem Turnpike and the Core Plus Credit Union at 202 Salem Turnpike took place under 20 minutes apart on Tuesday, August 15th, according to a press release from the Norwich Police Department. During the Liberty Bank robbery, the suspect entered the bank, demanded the money and exited. An undisclosed amount of money was taken, but the stolen money was found in the parking lot. Core Plus was robbed while officers were responding to the Liberty Bank incident. The suspect stole about $500 from Core Plus. It is believed the suspect fled into the woods across the street and changed clothes, according to the police press release. 
The police are looking for a white, possibly Hispanic man seen dressed in a red shirt, denim shorts, socks and sneakers in a photograph they have posted to the department's Facebook page. He was last seen on Salem Turnpike near Briar Lane. Norwich police stated there's no threat to the public at this time. However, the public should not approach the individual and notify police if and when they see him. Anyone who has seen or may know the individual in the photograph is urged to call Norwich Police at 860-886-5561, extension 6. In the day this week, the massive UHL Fierce cargo ship arrived recently at State Pier in New London with the first shipment of blades and gearboxes known as nacelles to be assembled starting later this month as part of an offshore wind project called South Fork Wind for the state of New York. Ulysses Hammond, Interim Executive Director of the Connecticut Port Authority in control of State Pier, said the offloading process was conducted by around 20 to 30 mostly local longshoresmen. Hammond called the arrival of some of the most critical components in the wind turbine assembly process as a tremendous milestone in the nation's attempt to advance the fight against climate change. He noted that State Pier will play a critical role in the construction of offshore wind farms that will be an immediate benefit to Connecticut, Rhode Island and New York, helping to create new jobs, drive local investment and advance the state and nation closer to clean energy goals. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at Connecticut-East.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East This Week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East This Week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Thank you for listening.